Welcome to our sermon podcast here at City of Light Anglican Church. We are a new church in Aurora, Illinois, finding a new day in Jesus. We want to see the light of Jesus rise and shine in our hearts, in our homes, and in our neighborhoods. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Last week, Trevor used an illustration from The Lord of the Rings. And uh, as we were talking earlier this week, he apologized to me and said, you know, I'm sorry for using a quote from The Lord of the Rings because there's just so many great quotes in there about journeys. Um, And we both agreed it's probably not good for me to use uh, two quotes two weeks in a row from The Lord of the Rings. So uh, I think I found a loophole, though. I'm going to do a quote from The Hobbit instead to start. Um, So a little cheeky of me, but there we go. So it's from Gandalf, and uh, he's just rescued Bilbo and the dwarves from these monstrous trolls and then set them back on their journey. And and at this point, one of the dwarves asks the question that all of them have been wondering. He says, uh, where did you go to, if I may ask, said Torin to Gandalf as they rode along. To look ahead, said he. And what brought you back in the nick of time? Looking behind, he replied. And uh, I just want to start this morning by doing just that, by looking ahead and looking behind. Um, Let's look uh, behind at where the Israelites have come from in their journey out of Egypt, and then look ahead to where they're going, what lies ahead of them. So last week, Trevor led us through uh, the story of the Red Sea and Israel's deliverance there. So against all odds, down to the wire, at the moment of their greatest need, Um, God steps in and he brings salvation. And um, he he, he fights for them against this unstoppable military power. And he he provides a way out through this insurmountable barrier in the Red Sea. And then he leads them into this unthinkable new reality in their freedom as a people. So he rescues them. He, He reveals himself as the God who delivers. At the beginning of this passage, we find the Israelites encamped at Elam, which is this oasis where we're told there are 12 springs and 70 palm trees. And they camp there together, feasting on the food that they they brought out of Egypt and the fruit of the oasis, with the songs of Moses and Miriam, the songs of deliverance still ringing in their ears. And then what lies ahead of them? Uh, Ahead of them lies the promised land. The land flowing with milk and honey, the land that was promised to their forefathers, and most importantly, the land in which uh, God himself has promised to dwell among them. The land where he said in chapter 6, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. So it's their their own land, uh, a land where they can dwell as a people, where they can dwell with God, and where God can dwell in their midst. So God promises to be a God who will dwell with them. And my guess is that this promise is actually pretty easy to believe um, when they're sitting there encamped at Elam, just kind of basking in their newfound freedom, drinking fresh water from the springs and, and, um, you know, just just, um, feasting on the plunder of the Egyptians. But the story continues in verse 1 here. uh, It says, The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. Can you imagine what this experience must have been like for them? The word here uh, translated as desert 
um, is sometimes translated as wilderness or wasteland. More literally, it's the uninhabitable land, or most literal of all, is the undwellable land. The undwellable land. So imagine the experience of the Israelites as they come into this undwellable land and they slowly begin to finish the last of their food from Egypt and then the last of their food from Elam and the realization slowly begins to set in. There's nothing out here. We're in this wasteland. There's nothing to forage, nothing to hunt, nothing can grow, no animals can be kept for long. It's this barren, empty place, unfit to dwell. It's not what anybody expected. So what do we do when God leads us somewhere that we did not expect? This is a question that isn't unique to the Israelites. Uh, we know what it's like to suddenly find ourselves in what feels like an undwellable land, right? Have you ever had a sense of, of calling or guidance from God only then to face setback and frustration? Or uh, have you ever entered into like a new community or a new relationship or even a new church only to be just disillusioned pretty immediately after that? Or have you ever found yourself in a, a season of spiritual dryness or relational conflict or, or unexpected medical or financial troubles or, or vocational uncertainty? If so, then you know the questions that are rising in the Israelites' hearts and minds. Why has God brought us here? Will he be true to his promises? Can he really dwell with us here? And the Israelites, when they're faced with these questions, uh, they begin to grumble. Verse 2 says, If we'd only died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. So clearly there's, there's some revisionist history going on here, right? So they start to paint this rosy and sentimental picture of, of their time in slavery, imagining it as though it's the good old days, right? You know, uh, time of abundance and ease where they had like everything that they needed. And quickly the reality of their life in Egypt gets displaced by a fantasy. And they forget the bitterness of slavery and, and even more what's worse, they forget their own stories of deliverance. They forget how God acted to free them, to save them, and how he led them to the place that they are now. And instead, all they can feel is this hunger growing in their bellies, and all they can think about is the food that they had in Egypt. And this is what life in an undwellable land does in us. It unearths what lies in the depths of our hearts. So later in Deuteronomy, uh, when the people reflect in their 40 years in the wilderness, Moses says to them, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart. So the wilderness strips away everything that we've come to trust in and build our lives upon. And it lays bare what's lurking at the bottom of our hearts. And the Israelites had Egypt in their hearts. They've been trained by Egypt to trust in what they could only see in front of them. They've been trained by Egypt to build their lives on, on hustle and toil. They've been trained by Egypt to, to trust in the instincts of fear and grit and survival. And God brings them into the wilderness because he wants to do a work in their hearts. 
He's gotten them out of Egypt, but now he's got to get Egypt out of them. So the promise that God made to the Israelites, the purpose for which he's delivered them, is so that he can dwell with them. That they'd be his people. He would be their God. And so he's not going to allow their hearts to go unhealed, and he won't bring them out of the wilderness until the wilderness does its work. He brings them into an undwellable land so that he can invite them to dwell there with him. So how does God uh, dwell with us in the undwellable land? I think this passage uh, suggests two answers. Um, First, God dwells with us in daily provision. Verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, I'll rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I'll test them and see whether they will follow my instruction. So here it is. God hears their groaning, and he gives them what they need. And notice that God's provision here is, it's lavish in its generosity. God says he'll rain down bread from heaven. So this week and last, we've been experiencing some severe thunderstorms in the area, and I got an alert on my phone the other week that said, um, it said, you can expect ferocious thunderstorms to suddenly erupt in Aurora. And that certainly got my attention, and... uh, I think maybe a copywriter at the weather apps gunning for a raise or something, but um, yeah, so ferocious thunderstorms will suddenly erupt, um, but that's actually the kind of language that God uses here. It's really intense, actually, in the original language. The forecast that the Israelites can expect is that a ferocious downpour of God's provision is going to suddenly erupt in the undwellable land and rain down on the people's heads. It's this image of lavish abundance. And later God says uh, the people are going to be filled with bread, fully satisfied, filled to their heart's content. It's, It's the same language that they used in their romanticized memory of Egypt. You see, God's going to show them that what they're craving in Egypt is something that only he can really give. True security, true satisfaction, true provision. And then God says that this provision will also be a test. It's going to be a test designed for their learning and for their formation. This test isn't there to trip them up. It's there to uh, grow them up into the people of God, the true people who, who dwell with God moment by moment, day by day. And each day they're going to go out and gather bread, and each day they're going to gather only enough for that day. There's no hoarding or stockpiling. There's no such thing as hustle in the people of God. Instead, each morning, they're to seek God's provision again, to receive his daily bread anew. And day by day, they're to taste and see the faithfulness of the Lord who dwells with them. So this is how Moses is going to talk about the manna later. Um, In Deuteronomy, he says, He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And then the book of Proverbs is later going to say, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? So God dwells with us in this daily provision. And this is how we dwell with God in the undwellable land. We seek his provision daily. We go out and gather morning by morning. 
There's, there's so many ways that God invites us to seek his provision, to gather up his provision. He invites us to his word where he speaks to us and teaches us and tells us the true story of who we are. He invites us to his table where he, he feeds and nourishes us with his presence. He invites us into his people where, he, uh, where we can learn to share our suffering together and bear one another's burdens. And he invites us into lives of mission and service so that we can put ourselves in a position to see his, his miraculous provision his, and see him mysteriously move. So see, more than, than devotional practices or spiritual disciplines, all these things are actually, um, they're actually an invitation to gather up God's provision. They're an invitation to taste and see the glory of the God who dwells with us in an undwellable land. So I remember earlier last year um, when the first orders of shelter in place had been in, in place for a little while and just kind of hitting a real low point in the pandemic and just cramped up in our tiny little apartment, both Charlotte and I working two full-time jobs, a little toddler crawling all over us, and we hadn't seen anyone in, in like over a month. And I remember we, we just both agreed, we, we need a way to recenter in the Lord, each of us. So we agreed that um, each day I would take the first hour of the morning before breakfast, and then Charlotte would take the last hour of the afternoon before dinner, and we would just go on a, on a walk in the, in the park out behind our, car, our apartment complex. And I remember each morning, day after day, I, was, I would wake up feeling anxious or tired or just unsure of the future, and then I would begin to walk. And I'd begin to pray, I'd begin to listen and to wait, to receive, and it was a gathering. Each day in small, ordinary ways, whether it was just the sun on my face or the sound of the birds or, or a sense of God's presence or voice, or even just that steady rhythm of just walking in a circle. The Lord provided me with enough for that day, and then enough for the next day, and then the next, and then the next. And it was just something that simple. It's that kind of daily gathering, daily seeking, daily waiting, that teaches us to open our hands to God's provision. So by dwelling with God, it isn't all just testing and teaching, though. Verse 22 says, On the sixth day they gathered twice as much, and the leaders of the community reported this to Moses. Moses is ready with the answer. He says, This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. This part is so good. Um, God gives the people of Israel something unprecedented in all of human history, something that would have been totally foreign to their life of slavery in Egypt. He gives them a day of rest. He gives them a double portion of the manna on the sixth day so that on the seventh day, they can, they can cease from all their gathering, they can cease from all their hustle, cease from all their striving, cease from all their weariness and their work and their worries, and just simply rest in the presence of God. They're told to dwell in their place and enjoy the food that God provides. And then unexpectedly, even like delightfully, I think, God doesn't give this day of rest as part of the test he's giving them. He actually gives it as an explanation of the double portion of manna. So God throws Israel a surprise party. Amidst all the teaching and testing, all that grumbling and gathering, 
God's heart for this tired and scrappy band of grumblers and hustlers is to give them a surprise party, to throw them a feast, to invite them to this gratuitous banquet. So I remember uh, another day, a uh, moment a couple years ago when I was working two jobs and, and taking seminary classes online and Talia was still an infant, so she was waking us up multiple times a night. And I was just barely keeping up with my assignments. And I remember at the end of a long day, we put her down and I just kind of collapsed in the bed, only to remember that I had a quiz due within the next hour that I hadn't prepared for at all. And so I, I, I just logged on to my computer and opened it up. And as I clicked begin quiz, I remember this moment of just like slowly dawning relief as this message popped up on the screen and it said, grace often surprises us in the most unexpected places. If you're reading this, your grade for this week's quiz will be 100%. Take the time you had set aside for this quiz to rest. Right? <laughs> so praise God for, for generous professors. Um, because for me, that was exactly the kind of surprise party that I needed, right? I just needed to close my laptop and go to bed early. But this is the heart of the God who, who made the universe and then rested on the seventh day. It's the heart of the God who, who gave the people of Israel a double portion of manna. It's the heart of the God who dwells with us. God isn't like the taskmasters of Egypt. He isn't like our culture of hustle and hurry that tells you to do better and to do more. And he isn't like that feeling of, of guilt and exhaustion you get when you flop down on the bed at the end of the day with a half-completed to-do list and, and dishes in the sink. God dwells with us in rest. God is a gift-giving, work-ceasing, party-throwing God. Amen? So this is the meaning of Sabbath that God gives to Israel. It's an invitation to, to know the true heart of God and to know ourselves truly, not as slaves to a demanding taskmaster, not as hustlers in a land of scarcity, not as disappointments to a God who, who expects more from us, but as, as children of a good and loving God who dwells with us in rest. So he dwells with us in daily provision and he dwells with us in rest. He invites us to order our lives around this rhythm so that we can learn to dwell with him. But it's, it's really easy to take God's invitation and to turn it into an obligation, to take his provision and then turn that into some kind of performance. So in the story, some of the Israelites still go out and gather on the Sabbath day. Some of them still can't imagine a life without hustle. They can't help but think that, that the God who delivered them from Pharaoh is really, in the end, just like Pharaoh. The book of Exodus is this story of a 40-year journey out of Egypt. Well, God delivers his people from Egypt in this, this once-for-all act and, then, and provides the way out in this moment at the Red Sea. Egypt still lives somewhere in Israel's bones. So for 400 years, they've been in formation as the slaves of Pharaoh. And then for 40 years, they'll need to be transformed into living as the children of God. So verse 35 says, uh, the people of Israel ate manna for 40 years until they came into a dwellable land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. So for 14,600 days, God rains down bread from heaven for them. 
For 2,080 Sabbaths, God throws them another party and another party. So the Sabbath after Sabbath, day by day, moment by moment, God provides another way out of Egypt, another little exodus for the people of Israel. And he's patient and he's faithful and God dwells with his people until finally he brings them to the border of a dwellable land. And this is the promise of this passage for you and for me this morning. Because a little bit of Egypt, maybe a whole lot of Egypt, still lives in our bones. It's that coping mechanism or that dependence on distraction. It's the instinct to turn the provision of God for your healing into an obligation to check off a list. It's the instinct, or it's the belief that you need to hurry and the hustle to survive. It's the feeling that you get sometimes that God has just brought you out to the wilderness to die. So hear the good news this morning. In Jesus Christ, God has provided you with a way out. We can't find it on our own. We can't earn it by our hustle. But day by day, morning by morning, God chooses to dwell with us again. And he's calling you to dwell with him every day so that any day can be a new day in Jesus for you, a new little exodus. Jesus says to you and me, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. See, in Jesus, we see clearly that in our life with God, God's dwelling with us is always primary. He's the word who became flesh to dwell among us. He's the true bread that came down from heaven for the life of the world. And he's the God who even when we grumble and even when we fail to obey, still rains down bread in the wilderness. He's the God who dwells with us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. for listening to this podcast from City of Light Anglican Church. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at cityoflightanglican.org. And now, may the light of Jesus scatter the darkness from before your path.